Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. Today, I'm happy to be at Red Rocks Church. How you guys feeling today? You feeling good? There's something that happens inside of me. Maybe I'm the only one, but there's something that happens inside of me when we sing declarations like that because there's kind of this perspective that I have with God where I, I, can, I can see God almost on like the fringe of heaven just waiting to pour out His Spirit upon people, resurrect dead lives, dead dreams. And one of the things that's most humbling about that is being able to sit into a context where I realize, God, it is your desire to do that for my life. Like you're, you're itching on the inside, squirming with excitement to want to do that for people like us. It, it allows us to let hope arise that God could do something new. It allows us to let excitement arise, expectation arise, that God could do something profound even in your life. Am I speaking to anybody who's ever felt ordinary before? You've ever felt average? You felt dirty? You felt below average? We're the type of people that God's looking for. We're the objects of His affection. No matter what you came into this building experiencing or what's going on in your life, no matter what campus you're watching from or where you're watching from around the globe, God's eyes of affection are on you. He is wooing you to his love and his heart. He wants nothing more than for you to walk into the fullness of life today. So we get a chance to look at some of that stuff expectantly. If you're expectant today at one of our campuses, maybe sitting in a living room somewhere, give somebody a high five, tell them I'm expectant today and you can have a seat. I'm expectant today. So full disclosure, this this season of my life has been kind of a, it's been an interesting one. Anybody just had some like tough seasons of life? Just me and about four other people. Anybody had some tough seasons of life? This has been one of those for me. And what's interesting is so much of what I'm experiencing is not what's happening to me um, on the exterior. It's not things that are happening in my life. It's what's happening in my life. Things on the inside. Anybody had battles on the inside? Struggles on the inside. The more that I'm meeting with some of the counselors, wise voices in my life, um, the more that I'm realizing the common enemy and the common theme in my dilemma is a little four-letter curse word called fear. And uh, I wouldn't normally characterize myself as like a fearful person. Um, normally, I've been like this like enthusiastic adrenaline junkie. I like a good time. People don't really scare me. Um, you know, taking risks doesn't really scare me. But some of the things that I'm, I'm feeling on the inside aren't necessarily fears that I have an ability at first glance to avoid. Uh, like like a, I'm really afraid of heights and I can kind of avoid that. It's not a big dilemma in my life. If you feel claustrophobic, just stay out of an elevator. Like we have some fears that we can avoid. If you don't like snakes, stay in your house and out of pet stores. Like 
Most of these fears we can, we can try to avoid, but some of the fears that are, are, are most toxic in my life right now are fears that I live out on the subconscious level. It's unconscious from my normal frame of reference. I'm not thinking about it consistently, yet it's these fears that drive my life. Anybody ever felt some of those? Some childhood trauma, some issues, some, some hurts and wounds, some betrayals, some offenses. You don't necessarily ponder on it every single day, but how many of you know it does bear fruit in your life? It's like it has these gross tentacles that seem to touch every course of your life, conversations, motives, why I do what I do. And I'm realizing I have this horrible spider web of fears in my life, and I wanted to talk to you about one of the fears that I've identified as one of the most pervasive fears in my life. Are you okay if I can just be vulnerable for a little bit? I feel like teaching in a different way today. I feel like I have a lot of stuff going on in my own life that I do feel like is appropriate um, to share with us this weekend. And it kind of goes back, where, where I, I see the saga begin is back in, in my late teens, I think 17, 18 years old, um, I made some divinely dumb decisions in my life. Um, I know that's shocking to you. You seem so put together, Ronnie. False. It's actually far from, far from the truth. It's the joy of standing on a stage. I, I had some issues in my life where I made some really dumb mistakes. And it, it put me into a position where it seemed like every one of my relationships was, was hurt and affected. My, my, my hope for my future and my dreams and my callings, it felt like I lit them on fire and, you know, like they were gone in an instant. My security, confidence was just wiped away. And honestly, like any of my zeal for life was just gone. I had just so many tormenting thoughts of like suicide and in my own life, it would be easier for everybody if this just happened. And I can remember being so, so low, and I went to have lunch with one of my close counselors, people that were, were kind of like a mentor figure in my life, and we went to lunch, and we had this good conversation, but I was just in the pits, almost like, you can't, you can't pull me out. I'm, I'm too deep, too stuck, stuck in the mud. I'm down on my own insides and just going like, man, I don't know that I have hope. And at the end of the conversation, he slid a book across the table. And the title of the book was Don't Waste Your Life. He meant well. <laughs> but in that moment, the feeling that I had on the inside was one of the person that has most closely believed in me my whole life felt like the most appropriate gift would be to give me a book that said, don't waste your life. I read into that and perceived in his eyes, I am wasting my life. And it's probably true. And then at the end of it, he slid it across the table and he said, Ronnie, I want you to know that God has designed you and destined you for extraordinary purposes. Never, ever, ever settle for the ordinary. And while there was so much truth inside that, it did give me a little jolt of hope, like he still does believe in me and God's made me for the extraordinary. What I did is I left making a vow that I would never give people a reason to wonder if I'm wasting my life. I will never give somebody another opportunity to tell me that I'm ordinary. And it opened up for me this like vow that I created that I then now live in and it has tentacles into every portion of my life where I go, I will not be ordinary. 
I have been designed for extraordinary things and on surface level that sounds so amazing. But the pathway for me to go from ordinary to extraordinary, I've had wrong my whole entire life. And so I've lived under this pervasive fear that I like to call phobo. Phobo. Lean to your neighbor and say, you got phobo? You got phobo? Phobo is the fear of being ordinary. Just to be a moment of honesty at our locations, anybody ever felt this fear of, I don't want to be ordinary? Has anybody lived day to day going, I just feel super ordinary? Or is it just me? It's been this characteristic of my whole life going, I am just ordinary and this must be the course of my life. Yet I get these moments of ambition to go, I will never be ordinary. I'll do something so the world can see I'm extraordinary. I want to talk today a little bit about this. I hope it blesses you. If not, enjoy me being blessed. God, I pray for every single person at one of our buildings, people watching around the world right now. God, this, this desire to be extraordinary, which I think is something, God, that you gave to us as a desire to live an extraordinary life. And God, I just pray that you'd help us see the pathway to combat the fears in our life that drive us, God, because fear is a lousy motivator. So Holy Spirit, today, we just say we wanna be available to what you wanna say to us, speak to us. God, I'm expecting you're gonna change some lives today. God, some courses, some paths, some expressions of people's lives, God, I believe are gonna change forever today. I'm just that hopeful, I'm just that expectant. So Jesus, be enthroned. Jesus, be king, be Lord. And God, I pray that today people wouldn't leave being profounded by a message, but they would leave feeling in awe of a great and glorious God who is with us and will never leave us. We thank you, Jesus, that you're looking for ordinary people because we got rooms full of them today. And every ordinary person watching from around the world and at campuses all over Denver, Brussels, and Austin said, Amen. Amen. Phobo, eh? One of the things that's pretty interesting about this fear of being ordinary is actually it's pretty common. Um, it's so common that scientists have actually come up with a name. You know, we have all the phobias that different people live with. Well, the fear of being ordinary is actually on that list. It's coinophobia. Everybody say coinophobia. It's the fear of being ordinary. Now, I want to just spend some time before some of you are like, aren't we supposed to be extraordinary? I actually do believe that. So the question is, why on earth is it so wrong to try to be extraordinary? Why is it so wrong? And some of us, if we're perfectly honest, we're like, I'm kind of okay with being ordinary. It feels kind of cool. It's safe. It's predictable. I don't mind being ordinary. So what's the, what's the challenge and the dilemma? What are we actually aiming for? And I actually believe on a deep, deep, profound level that every single person is designed to be extraordinary. But I want to make sure that we know the pathway in order to do that and what in God's eyes is extraordinary. Because if I asked you this question, who wants an extraordinary life? You can raise your hands a little crowd participation. 40% of us, 40% want to be extraordinary. It's probably more at Arvada, high achievers, Park Meadows, high achievers. I get it. Hands are going up now, a little guilt factor. You can have some fun. We're going to have some fun today. The question is, 
What would you need to do or acquire to feel extraordinary? I want you to just take a second. I'm gonna awkward pause and let you think about that. What would you need to do or to acquire to feel extraordinary? When do you know that you've made it? Like for our business leaders, when do you know that you've arrived? When do you know that enough is enough and the ambition can slow down and now you can create some moderation in your life and get healthy again and have your quiet time again, be with your kids again? Like when is enough enough that you feel like I've made it, my life is significant, my life can be characterized as extraordinary? When would that be? And I believe that there's gonna be two different types of answers. Number one is an answer that's also gonna reinforce what I'm trying to push at, and it's I don't really have an answer. I've never really thought about it, right? The second answer is also gonna prove my point. And it's gonna be this bridge between where I am right now and what is extraordinary produces A gap. Now, what's so significant about the gap? The gap for us, friends, signifies something that we lack, right? Right now, my business is doing a million dollars a year. If I could just get to 10, that would feel pretty extraordinary. But if you've ever met a business leader who has 10x their business, there's still something on the inside that goes, it isn't quite enough. Why don't we try 100 million? Why don't we go for a billion? The list goes on and on and on. There's something that's profound about this gap, and what's interesting about it is this gap for us when we're driven by this fear of being ordinary, and I want to move to extraordinary. What is compelling us on the middle, what's compelling us in this gap is something called fear. I have this desire to no longer be where I am, and I want to get over here. And what's interesting about this fear, friends, is that it's driven by something called scarcity. Scarcity is simply the state of going, I don't have enough yet, but when I get over here, I will have enough. Now, it sounds fine. Some of you are going, I still don't see the point. I still don't see the significance of this, but but scarcity is a lousy motivation for our life. Lack is a lousy motivation for our life because what's true of human nature is that you will never get enough to be satisfied. Your your fear will continue to drive you until the day that you die, which is why people go to their grave with tremendous resources wondering, was my life extraordinary? And it's this fear that's been pushing me and pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. It's the scarcity of me going, I'm not quite significant enough. I'm not quite extraordinary enough. My life isn't to be envied. It isn't, it isn't to be desired by the world. So I got to go and do more. What happens is scarcity begins to make you live your life like this. You clench on to the things you have. I don't have enough resources. Let's make money. Let's take money for an instance. Got a couple dollar bills. They're actually not mine, so thanks, Scott Miller, for letting me borrow your dollar bills. What happens is that when you have scarcity, I only have this much money. What's the nature of the human heart? It is to clench and hang on to it because it's all that I have. What happens to a person with scarce mentality with their resources is that they never get a chance to give it away. 
What happens to a person with scarce resources of their time? There's so much to do, so little time. You lose the margin to bless others. You lose the margin to sit with your children. You lose the margin to have significant conversations with your spouse. I wonder, do you see any signs of scarcity driving your life where you're no longer available? See, that's been, that's been like the quintessential thing in my life right now. I'm going, I don't necessarily know that I have close, close, meaningful relationships, and I don't necessarily know that I, I serve people and I'm, I'm that helpful. My neighbors can attribute to this. They'll text me and go, could you just swing by and help me move this fridge? And I'm like, I, I don't have time. How am I supposed to fit that into my life? My wife can tell you this. She's going, babe, I really want to go and bless this person, get him a meal, get him a gift, do the thing. She's so sweet and kind. I'm like, babe, we don't got money for that. I'm, I, I'm scarce because I haven't quite yet arrived, and I need to leverage everything that I have to get me to where I want to go. It makes me live like this, not like this. Let's do this. At all locations, would you just put your hands out in front of you, make a fist, what are some of the things inside of your life right now where you can see signs of scarcity? Where if what you had right now went away, it would throw your internal like character, it would throw your, your posture of confidence into a whirlwind. What if it went away would just derail you? What in your life feels like there is never enough? Like even when you grasp it, and you cling tight to it, it seems like it blows away. Never enough. I want you to think about that as we talk through these next few moments because what I believe God's gonna begin to do is he's gonna help you see in your life that there might be something that is driving you other than the spirit of Christ, but it is a four-letter word called fear. Scarcity, friends, makes us live like this, not like this. Scarcity always asks us two questions, and I wanna have you write these down, make you think about this a little bit. Scarcity always asks us two questions, and the first question that scarcity asks us is, am I enough? So in light of being extraordinary, am I enough yet? When I ask what would it take to get you to be extraordinary, are you enough? to be considered extraordinary? Does your life look like the picture of extraordinary? The second question that it makes us ask is this, do I have enough? Do I have enough? Yeah, how many of us step into our workplace, myself included, with these as motivators? How many of us go into our families asking these questions? Am I enough to be a good mom? I didn't even grow up with good parents. Do I, do I have what it takes to be a significant and impactful and extraordinary mom in the life of my kids? Do I have what it takes to lead this company beyond where it is today? Do I have what it takes to start this company? Do I have what it takes to be a pastor? Am I enough? And then do I have enough at the end of the day? I think if you're anything like me, which you're human, so I'm gonna make this leap, the many a times in our lives, the thing that motivates us from where we stand right now feeling extremely, tremendously, profoundly ordinary, the measure by which we try to achieve extraordinary is fear. 
in the form of scarcity. Now, this has so many profound repercussions for our lives because what ultimately scarcity will do in your life, and we're gonna look at scripture here in a second, what it will cause you to do with your life is it will make you live this way rather than this way. We all wanna live this way. The kingdom is lived out this way. The way of Jesus is lived out this way. Jesus always made time for people whenever they were in need. If you brushed against his tunic, you had his attention. If you were a sinner and invited him over for dinner, you had his attention. Jesus Jesus had an ability to clear away the distractions. He was totally available and not only available with his time, but his attention was on people who needed him. He could see them. I think about the woman at the well. Jesus in route had to take the long route, sits beside the well. This lady comes up to him and Jesus takes the time to see her. He speaks into her life. He's not in a hustle. He's not in a hurry. He takes time to not just see her physically, but to actually know her. And she left that day going, this man told me everything about my life. And revival went through that city. I wonder, will revival look differently than we ever thought that it would? Jesus didn't go about life like this. He went about life like this. Friends, the greatest way to drown out the extraordinary in your life is scarcity. What are you waiting for? What would make you live life like this? What would make you manage your schedule like this? What would make you manage your attention to your children like this? What would make you available for your teammates that you work with? to go into their space and live like this. I wonder how how pervasive scarcity is. One of the amazing things, I like to look at some of the figureheads within scripture, people that achieved an extraordinary life, like people that we would all go, their life was so significant and impactful. One of the figures that I think about is King David. Talk about an ordinary dude. Like when they were trying to pick a king, they were looking across all of his brothers that were more suitable, more fitting, more handsome, more tall. Like they had it all together. And God went, no, 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 no. Go get the ordinary guy in the field. One of the amazing things that I love about King David is in Psalm 23. It's my favorite psalm. And he says this, and I want you to hear the posture of King David's heart for the way that he lived. He said that the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing. I want you to think about this in light of the resources of your life. What would it look like, no matter how much resources of time, talent, and treasure you have, to live your life like this, that what I have is enough because he is my shepherd? I wonder what our lives would look like. Like, I wonder what it, it, my life as a dad and as a leader and as a pastor and as a friend, as a neighbor to people, what would it look like if my posture moved from this to this? How would people's lives be impacted differently? How many people would show up to my funeral to celebrate my life if I didn't live like this anymore, but I lived like this? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
We all know the story. Many of us know the story of King David. He ended up going to be Israel's most prominent king. He was a picture of the coming Messiah. That's pretty cool. But isn't it interesting that God put you on this planet to be a picture of the coming Messiah? And we see the picture of a man who didn't live like this, but he lived like this. What do I gotta do to be extraordinary? What do I gotta do to make my life count? What, what do I gotta do to do what God did, to do what Jesus did, to live the way that Jesus lived? I love John 6, 28. It says this. These people were all around Jesus and swarming, and one guy speaks up, and he says, we wanna perform God's work too. Anybody at Red Rocks goes, me too. I wanna do what God did. I wanna do what Jesus did. I wanna live like him. I wanna do the things that he did. What should we do? Look at Jesus' response in verse 29. Jesus told them, this is the only work. Lean to your neighbor and say, it's the only work. This is the only work God wants from you. This is the only work God wants from you. He says this, believe in the one that he sent. (laughs) Oh my gosh, have I got it wrong. He says, here's what you gotta do. You wanna live an extraordinary life and look like Jesus? Believe in Jesus. Believe in who he is for your life. My whole life, I've been compelled towards extraordinary by what I can add to my life. Friends, Jesus never looked for people who were more than ordinary. And I don't know where you find yourself today, but that brings my heart great joy because all I've wanted to do is be more than ordinary to be used by God in a great way. And what, when you look at the course of scripture, Jesus only picked ordinary people. And most of the time he picked subordinary people. They were less than ordinary. They were, they were the degenerates. They were the outcasts. They were the people that didn't have what it took. He took Moses who couldn't even talk without stuttering and said, I want to lead you through with the, to, to lead the greatest exile in human history. I want you, Moses, to liberate my people. And he goes, but God, I am just ordinary. Actually, I'm less than ordinary. I can't even talk as well as the average person. I wonder if you feel ordinary. If God's just going... <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) I wonder if you put pressures on your life that God never put on you. I wonder if your picture of success isn't God's picture of success. I wonder, will we learn what God's picture of success is and rally our whole life around it? Or will we go to the grave wondering, what did I miss? A story that haunts me is the story of the rich young ruler. Many of us are familiar with it. He gets an invitation to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, listen, there's one thing that I want you to do. I want you to take all that you have, everything that you've amassed and accumulated, and I want you to give it away to the poor. And the guy just says, I can't do that. Can't do that. So it says that he went away sad. 
I like to think about him on his deathbed. What would, what was he, I wonder what he was thinking about because surely, I mean, this guy had it. Like he was, he was young, he was successful, he had money, he had influence, authority, people followed him. Like this guy was the it factor. And I wonder what he was thinking when he was on his deathbed about to leave everything that he amassed behind. That story haunts me. That's not in scripture, but I just got to imagine he went to his deathbed grieving the fact that he turned down the way of Jesus. I wonder, are we living like this? God, I just can't give this up. God, I only have so little and you want me to give it away? Now I'll, I'll wait till I get a little bit more. I'll wait till the emergency fund is there. I'll wait till I pay down some things to be there. And Jesus is just going, listen, I will provide for you at all costs. Would you just live like this? Would you just steward your time like this? Would you steward your relationships like this? I wonder what would happen to our peace. I'll tell you what happens on the flip side because it's my story. You're anxious and exhausted and insecure. You walk into every environment going, I hope someone doesn't ask something from me because I got nothing left to give. Hope one day God positions me to live like this, but right now, good Lord, I'm hanging on for dear life. I wonder what's the posture of your heart because I'm just crazy enough to believe right now what God is doing in the shaking of our country and countries around the world as he's getting us to go like this. I don't know about you, but everything I put my confidence in has shaken. And I think it's by design. I wonder what are the things in your life right now that you could probably go a little bit more like this with? What could God do through a church that lived like this? I wonder what if you were motivated by his spirit and not by your fears. I wonder the life he could create. Because friends, the equation of heaven is that God takes ordinary people, he gave them Jesus so that they could live extraordinary lives. Notice that there's nothing in between. There's no other arithmetic of accumulation of wealth and, and, and health and prestige and, and you gotta be well-spoken and, and you gotta look the part. You gotta be born into the right family. No, the equation of heaven is I wanna take ordinary people. I wanna give Jesus to them so that they have their spirit on the inside so that they can go and be available to do extraordinary things. This is the invitation of heaven. Look at this, in, in Proverbs eleven twenty four. this is amazing. It says this, it says that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Notice that generosity precedes a large world. Your, your large world, this extravagant way of living is on the other side of your generosity, but some of us are waiting for the large world before we're generous. 
And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. The way of my kingdom doesn't look like this. It looks like this. And I want you to take what you have, be generous with it, and watch how I multiply it. Watch how I add more to it. Watch as I go, man, I found a conduit of somebody who knows how to give away wealth, give away influence, give away encouragement, give away what they have. I want to give them more so they can facilitate blessing around the globe. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. But watch this. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The question is, will you live like this or will you live like this? Some of us feel like we're living like this, but it's really like this. Come on, somebody. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. God's going, what would it look like if you went all in with this way of Jesus? How could you change the world? You might not be wealthy, but could you be generous? There's a difference. Verse 25 says this. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Notice that he didn't say the one who abundantly blesses others is blessed. There's a compound factor where he says, if you just bless, you'll be blessed abundantly. Jesus's kingdom is different. When you give it away, it's multiplied. When you give away influence, it's multiplied. When you give away authority, it's multiplied. When you give away encouragement and love, it is multiplied back to you. When you give away money, watch as God multiplies it. When you give away love and time and affection to your kids, watch as God in turn gives you time, love, and affection back to you. And then it finishes with this. Those who help others are helped. It's an upside-down kingdom, friends. When you learn to live like this, Get rid of the scarcity in your own heart, the fear in your own heart, and begin to just go, God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take you at your word and I'm just gonna make a little step. Watch him meet you. Friends, God's looking for ordinary people that'll just take him up at his word. You wanna stifle what God wants to do in your life? Diminish who God is. Make him really small. Make him fluffy, kind, gracious Jesus that forgives your sins, but doesn't provide for you substantially, doesn't open up doors for you, doesn't promote you, doesn't give you influence with people. Just, just take fluffy Jesus. Take baby Jesus. Take some watered down version of Jesus and watch as you get to the end of your day is going, I wish I would have taken him at his word. Friends, I'm preaching to you what I'm preaching to my own heart. As one of your pastors, I, this hasn't been the course of my life. I've been so consumed with being extraordinary. I've missed out what it looks like to be ordinary with Jesus. So my time management's looking different. My availability to my kids looks a little bit different. It's a little bit more like this. I didn't have this message written, and all my son wanted to do was come with me. And I'm going, I got to live like this. Come on up. I'm changing. I wonder what could God do with people like this. As I was studying, I was trying to think through, God, what is it through the course of Scripture, not a one story that made someone's life go from insignificant to significant, made their life go from ordinary like mine to extraordinary and I got one word that if all you remember today is one word, would you write this down, scribble it on your kneecap, 
write it on your arm, text it to yourself, scratch it into your skin. Don't do that. Don't do that. See, the, the posture of what God's looking for in my life and what's true for your life is he wants me to go from this to this. And I couldn't find a better word throughout all of scripture than the word available. Could you make your money available? Could you make your time available? Could you make your, your joy available to people? Could you, could, you, could, you, could you give what you have? Would you just make it available? And one of the amazing things that you, you begin to see throughout Scripture is the time and time again, there was just people in Scripture that were ordinary downcast people that just went, God, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll finally be available to you. Use me. Like you can send me anywhere, do anything that you want, and you can begin to see this in the book of Acts as God begins to commission his church. Look what's happened in Acts 4.13. There are these people watching the disciples, the marvelous works that they were doing, the miracles, the generosity, the confidence and passion that they had. And it says this, that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, if you study the actual translation, it's actually the word for idiot. How many know we got a little bit of hope? Even if you're an idiot, God can use you. They, they, they were astonished when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. The, the, the Bible says that their hearts and minds were astonished. They were in awe. And watch this. And they took note. Everybody say, take note. Take note. It says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You can study the original language. You can read commentaries. There's no addition to that. It was ordinary men, unlearned men, idiots of men. Ladies, don't nudge your husband. Idiots of men that God just used. Why? Because they were just with Jesus. God used those 12 people to turn the whole world upside down. Why? Because they were with Jesus. Because what they had, they made available and God multiplied it. We're in these rooms today because 12 men were sent on an assignment to not live like this, but to live like this and go, God, I'm just going to be available no matter what I have or don't have to bring to the table. I'm going to be available. You know, what's amazing is as you look at the life of Jesus, he intentionally looked ordinary. He didn't have a cape. He didn't come down in power with a crown and a, a whole royal like army behind him. He didn't come in a chariot. He was born in a manger. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about the coming Jesus, and he actually prophesied he, he's not going to be that attractive. He's going to look normal. He's not going to look like Pastor Conrad Bess. Big biceps, flowing blonde hair. He's going to look normal, like Ronnie. <laughs> Friends, do you know what good news it is that Jesus came and lived an ordinary life? He looked like an ordinary man. He was born in an ordinary family in a small, nobody from nowhere sort of a town. Like, that's Jesus, and he turned the whole world upside down, living an ordinary life. Friends, if you feel ordinary, I want to invite you into the extraordinary. All that you have to do is go, Jesus, I'm available for you to move. 
I'm available for you to use me. I'm available for you to speak through me. The apostle Paul said to Timothy, he goes, I I don't have anybody like Timothy. He's special. He's extraordinary. Somebody say extraordinary. He said he takes a genuine interest in the lives of others. I wonder what it would take for us to have a genuine interest in the life of others. Are you like this or like this? Band, you can come out and I'm gonna close. There's one story in scripture that just kind of haunts me. And it's an interesting story. Right after Jesus is baptized, about within a years of that time of his baptism, the Bible says that he actually goes back to his hometown. Pretty cool, like hometown hero. It's like the, the high school star of the high school goes on to be pro and comes back to the high school. Everybody celebrates, and he's the hometown legend. But the Bible doesn't say that that was what happened with Jesus. The Bible says that he came back to his hometown, and he went into the synagogue, and and, and they had him do this public reading, and he, he, he pulls out Isaiah. And Jesus begins reading this passage from Isaiah, and in Luke 4, verse 18, it says this. This is Jesus reading the prophet Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressor free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's amazing about this is Jesus took people that were broken and he added something to them. He took the blind, he gave them sight. He took the oppressed and liberated them. He took the downtrodden spirit and he raised them up to life again. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, we are living in the year of God's great favor. And then it says this, and he he rolled the scrolls up and he gave it back to the attendant and then he sat down and the eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fastened on him. Jesus, captivating Jesus, winsome Jesus, good communicator Jesus. And it says, he began saying to them, today, everybody say today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, meaning it's done. We're living in those moments and in that time. And it says this, all spoke well of him. It's Jesus. Good Jesus. He used to live down the street. Little carpenter Jesus. And they were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. And then they said this, friends, this is what we have to watch out for. They said, isn't it just Joseph's son? Isn't that just the kid who grew up down the street? Like we watched him hit puberty. We were there when his voice cracked, got his first pimple. Like we we literally have watched Jesus grow up to be this man. Like, isn't that just Jesus? Isn't that just Jesus? They said, isn't it just Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you do in Capernaum. Do it here. 
And then Jesus says something that I never want to be said of me. And he says this in verse 24. He says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Friends, here's, here's why this matters. And here's why I'm kind of choked up right now. Jesus went to the place where he was most familiar. And the Bible says he couldn't do a work there. The people that supposedly knew him the most couldn't see him as God. They just saw him as Jesus from three doors down. And I wonder if some of the places where God has a hindrance to work is his own place of residing. The people that know him the most. Could we be the people in society that live most like this when we're designed to live like this? They couldn't receive from Jesus, not because they were ordinary. His hometown was 500 people, and they said it was like the hillbilly culture of their time. These weren't highly respected people. These were nobodies. The Bible didn't say that Jesus couldn't move there because they were ordinary. They, they, he couldn't move because they couldn't see Jesus as he really was. They couldn't take his words to heart, and I'm just wondering, church, Red Rocks. Let's not be the people that know Jesus the most. But he goes, I just can't work here. I can't move here. We've raised up a group of people that are, they know of Jesus, but they're living in fear. Friends, did you know this? That the Bible says, fear not 365 times in scripture, almost like Jesus knew. We would need to be reminded every day of our lives. Do you want to live extraordinary? starts with you attacking your fears, your doubts, your worries, your insecurities. I'm going to wrap up with this. I was with my daughter the other day and I was working down at the bottom of our driveway. There's like this little guest house shop structure and I'm in there working and I look out the window and I see my daughter up at the top of the hill and she is just absolutely naked. No clothes on whatsoever. If you're close friends of ours, you go, this sounds about right. But she grabs this scooter up at the top of the hill, naked. She's looking down at the bottom of the hill, and she bombs it. And I watch my four-year-old butt-naked daughter scooting down this hill, shaking. And as she gets to the bottom of the hill, she, she hits the slope, and then she wipes out, skids across the ground. She's got scrapes and scratches all over her, and she's crying. I pick her up, and I'm holding her, and I'm going, baby, I'm so, so sorry. You can't do that. You got to have clothes on. You got to put your helmet on like I told you in your pads, and you shouldn't go down the hill on the scooter because I bought it from Walmart, and it doesn't really work. You shouldn't do that. And at, through her tears, she goes, Daddy, guess what? And I go, What? She goes, I made it to the bottom. <laughs> she did something for her that was extraordinary. But you know what we do every single night before they go to bed? We have them make declarations over their lives and they say things like, I am kind, I am generous, I have the favor of God in my life, I'm a great friend, I share, I'm a great sibling, I am loved by God. And one of the things that we say every single night is, I have no fear because Jesus is with me. And now I'm seeing that live out, looking like a little naked kid bombing a hill. She has no fear and I wanna celebrate it. And I'm just wondering, Red Rocks Church, can we go from living like this to living like this? Why? Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have no fear and it's the truest thing about me. Why? Because he's with me. I might be ordinary, but when he's with me, I'm extraordinary. 
me by myself, I'm closed-fisted, but with Jesus, I'm open-handed because he's with me. Friends, I just believe that we can change the world if we have that kind of posture. If you're available and able to, would you stand to your feet at all of our locations? I just want to declare God's good news upon us that we should not fear. We should not walk in fear. And I believe that the fruit of this life for people who claim to be Christ's followers is it will transition from living like this to living like this. And I pray right now. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate those areas of our hearts where we're going through life in lack? There is never enough. Jesus, give us the first baby step. And it might look like an insignificant task, like bombing a hill on a scooter, but Jesus, we'll start there. And would you bolster our faith to do more? God, we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Help us to remove ourselves from scarcity, this fear, of being ordinary. Jesus, you want ordinary people paired with you to be extraordinary. Jesus, use Red Rocks Church to do extraordinary things around the globe. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus and every extraordinary person said, let's worship.